0: Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Before we begin, I just want to celebrate where we were last Sunday, because I don't know about you, but last Sunday in celebrating Easter was good for my soul, yeah? Some of the songs we sang, I'm still singing this week. Some of the truths that we read from 1 Corinthians 15, they're still rattling around in my brain, and even some of the life change that we got to see uh, has just deeply encouraged me. And, and, and I left uh, last Sunday really fired up. Um, and then some point in about the middle of the afternoon, for what I would probably guess for about the fifth or sixth straight Easter, after a, a, an incredible Sunday of worshiping and considering the truth of the resurrection and what Christ accomplished for us on the cross, this little two-word question hit my soul in the afternoon last Sunday, which is, now what? What? That in light of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross, in light of the fact that he took our sin and and it's nailed to the cross, and then three days later that the tomb was empty, that both sin and death had been defeated, my great two enemies, your great two enemies, now what do I do as a response? And for the last five or six years, it's been a really good place for me to sit post Easter to go, okay, what's the demand? What's the call on my life? Who am I supposed to be in light of such a miracle, in light of such a deliverance that he has granted me? What then, how should I live? And how should I respond in a manner worthy of that resurrection, in a manner worthy of deliverance that Jesus has granted me? And that's been the question that has wrestled in my soul. Now what? And if there is a big call on our lives, what does it look like? How are we supposed to do it? And that's where I get to kind of introduce, welcome to the letter of James. James is gonna paint a picture. He's gonna give us a glimpse. He's gonna let us peel behind the curtain and, and look at, this is the life of a believer who is growing in full devotion. James is gonna kind of peel back and show that for us. Specifically using James's own words, James is gonna show us how to live single-minded, stable, and undefiled in this world. Let me say that again. James is gonna show us, this is his own words, he's gonna show us how to live single-minded, stable, and undefiled as, as he, shares us, uh, his letter with us. Now, let me be clear, uh, this idea of now what, we actually left you on Easter Sunday with it. As we were moving through a, a four-week study of 1 Corinthians 15, which I would say was uh, about 57 verses of theology of the resurrection and, and, and both its past implications in reality and then present and future implications in our lives. It was, it was doctrine, 57 verses of it. And then right on the heels, the last verse we read with about four minutes left to go in Easter Sunday was 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. And let me just read it for us because it's a great transitionary verse here into the book of James. Paul writing, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What a great verse to both have in our hearts as we left Easter Sunday last week. And what a great verse to then move us into the book of James. That language, my beloved brothers, you're going to see that some 15 times when we read the book of James here later today. Uh, the, The idea of be steadfast, immovable. That's one of the great themes of James that we will see right away in James chapter one. And then this is Paul writing, not James. He's saying, what do you do in light of the resurrection? always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. That's gonna be some of what we dive into in James chapter two. I mean, what a great transitionary verse to go, now what? How then shall we live? So James is gonna peel this back and give us a glimpse into the life of a believer who is growing in full devotion. And so let me just give you a quick chapter summary. James is gonna hit a lot of things in 108 verses, but here is a a quick glimpse into what this life looks like by chapter. In James chapter one, James is gonna talk to us about the fully devoted follower of Christ is growing and being able to persevere under trials. In chapter two, he's gonna talk about, hey, we've gotta be practicers of the truth. We've gotta be doers of the word in James's language. In James chapter three, he's gonna talk about how we've gotta control this thing, the tongue. We've gotta have power over it, not be controlled by it. In James chapter four, he's going to talk about how we are to be peacemakers. And then in chapter five, even with kind of a host of warnings written around it, he's going to call us to be a people that are prayerful. Just a little glimpse as to the life of a believer who is growing in full devotion and what it looks like. Now, as we jump into the book of James, let me just give you a friendly warning, so to speak. There are 54 commands in 108 verses coming at you. All right? You ready to buckle up for that? But let me remind you of two verses that can help set our hearts so that we hear that as the Lord would want us to hear that. The psalmist writes in Psalm 1611 is that you, God, make known to me the path of life And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the the question of, well, now what, Lord? God via James is gonna paint a picture for us because he's not a God of confusion. He doesn't leave us wondering, well, what do I do next? No, he's gonna make known to us the path of life. And he's gonna use James's letter to help us in that direction. And, and the, the thing I love about it that the psalmist writes, it says, when we go that direction in his presence, there is fullness of joy. God is not after some begrudging obedience, some tr- submission, some trudgery of like, okay, God, I guess I'll go that direction. No, he's saying as we follow his ways, as we walk the path of life, he says there's a fullness of joy that will attend your soul along that path. And we'll begin to taste some of the riches, some of the goodness that he has for our soul as we move that direction. He's gonna make known to us the path of life and God's gonna use James as one of those letters in our Bible to move us in that direction. Another verse to remind you of. This is Paul writing to Timothy. And this is true of of, of all the instruction that we have in God's word. But in 1 Timothy 4.15, Paul writes Timothy, talking about all the things that, that, that he had put before Timothy, he says this, and this could apply to James as well. It says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. And what a gift it is that it doesn't say perfection, right? It says progress. And so even as we are listening to this, I just want to remind you, the book of James, this is a lifetime's journey that we are on. Trying to grow in Christ's likeness. We will not be done in 10 weeks, but we can be a step or two further along the pathway of life. I've probably read James dozens of times this year. And I'll just tell you right now, not one time have I finished reading the letter of James and go, man, I'm crushing it. Not one time. And yet, by the grace of God, by his spirit working in me, I do look up and go, hey, where I was January 1st and where I am April 24th, something is a little different. There is a little bit of progress moving in how I'm controlling this thing and how I'm growing and being steadfast when things come at me. And so by the grace of God, we're there. And so as we jump into James, just have a couple of those verses to set the stage. Now here in about 15, 12 to 15 minutes, we're gonna read the entire letter of James, but let's just start with verse one, because I think it'll give us a little bit of a helpful overview to frame our minds to prepare us for that reading. It says in, in, in James one, letter one, verse one, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So real quickly, who do you think wrote the book of James? Very good, we're off to a good start. And this James uh, in particular is the half brother of Jesus. And that gives us a little bit of information to work with. With some of the verses that we have in the gospel accounts, we know a little bit about James. And one of the things that we know about James is he was very skeptical that his brother was the son of God. In fact, there's in, a, in, in one notable instance in Mark 3, chapter 21, Jesus is out there teaching. And it, and it says this in, in, in Mark 3, it says, when his family heard it, when a family heard that Jesus was teaching, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now, to be fair, if your brother, your half brother was claiming to be the son of God, you might kind of have some reservations but as they continue to watch Jesus's life, it doesn't appear that during his public ministry that they came around on who Jesus was. In John chapter seven, verses three through five, there's a, there's a festival going on and Jesus's brothers were kind of egging Jesus on. It says that Jesus brothers said to him in verse three, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret since you are doing these things. Show yourself to the world. It's like, prove it, Jesus, it's time. And then John adds this in verse five, for even his own brothers, including that would be James, did not believe in him. It would seem that during Jesus's public ministry that he was a skeptic so much so that even when Jesus was, on the cross, and even though scripture tells us Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters, he looks outside of his own family and he looks to the gospel writer, John, to take care of his mother, Mary. It would seem that, that James was likely a skeptic of who his brother was all the way to and through the crucifixion. And yet we just read in verse one that James calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what happened? What happened to James that he would go from a skeptic to calling himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, if you remember where we were four weeks ago, James met the resurrected Jesus face to face. In 1 Corinthians 15, after Jesus had appeared to others, it says, then Jesus, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some had fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. And in a moment, when James comes face to face with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, something happens. And James began to go, okay, now what? Some things began to change in James's life. And so I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know which side of that equation you're on, but let me just start with this. If, if you're a skeptic and not sure that Jesus is the son of God, I just wanna say, we are so glad that you're here. You're doing what I would say is one of the best things that you can do, which is to investigate the scriptures, listen to the claims of Jesus being the Messiah. And just listen, I just wanna just set you free up front. If you are a skeptic of who Jesus is, you do not have to live out the book of James. We're not asking you to live out the book of James right now. Even apart from the spirit working in you, you're not able to, and that's okay. We just say, consider who the God is that inspired the book of James. That would be what we would ask of you today. Now, for those of you that have come face to face, with the resurrected Jesus that have tasted his goodness and his deliverance. The question for you is, can you look back in your life and go, I see transformation. I see what this power has done in my life because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, scripture says, lives in you. If you have trusted in him and that power can do a mighty work if you And I don't get in its way and quench it and grieve the spirit in us. And so how are you doing? Can you look back? Can others look back in your life and go, man, something must've happened. People looked at James and go, what happened? And James is like, I saw him. I've tasted him. I've seen what he can do in my life. And that's the goal for each one of us is that people are like, hey, what happened in your life? Answer, I saw, experienced, experienced, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, that's what changed me. And James, this one-time skeptic of his brother would become a student of his brother. One of my favorite things about any book of the Bible is where else in God's word does it send me to? And we're in a real treat with the letter of James because more often than not, James is gonna send us right back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. James is going to keep sending us back to Jesus' own words. The words that he was once skeptical of, he's going to send us to. There's a, just a, this is just a sampling of the different ways James and, and Matthew 5, 6, and 7 cross-reference one another. There's even more than that. But this is just a little taste. Even as you're reading James over these next nine to 10 weeks, go spend some time in Christ's own words in the Sermon on the Mount. James, who was a skeptic, became a servant and I would also tell you, James became a shepherd to God's people. Paul, in fact, called him a pillar in the early church. If you go to Galatians 2.9, you see Paul call out James and go, this guy's a pillar in the early church. James was one of the primary leaders, one of the first leaders in the church in Jerusalem, shepherding that church body. And Paul recognized him and called him one of the leaders in the church. And so who is this group of people that James is shepherding? It says in verse one, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Specifically, when you see the, the phrase to the 12 tribes, it, it, it makes you think of Israel as it should, to be very clear, James's audience here are uh, Jewish believers who now believe that, that Jesus is the long awaited Messiah. He's writing to what we would call today Messianic Jews people that have Jewish bloodlines and yet they believe that Jesus is the son of God. This is who James is both shepherding in the church of Jerusalem and this is who he's writing. And and, and it says in the dispersion, what does that mean? Well, the dispersion is what began to happen after some of the persecution hits the early church in Jerusalem. If you read Acts chapter seven, you'll you'll, you'll remember that it was Stephen that was martyred for his faith in that chapter and then In Acts chapter 12, maybe about the time of AD 42 or 43, another James, a different James, the son of Zebedee is martyred. And then after that, with all the, the persecution that was beginning to happen in the Jerusalem church, they began to spread out. Just as God had, called them to do, they said, wait here. In Acts chapter one, he says, wait here, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then we're gonna spread out to the ends of the earth. Interestingly enough, God's gonna use persecution in the early church, man's evil attempts to accomplish what he desired to spread them out. And so this is who James is writing to. He's writing to Jewish believers that are being dispersed. And basically the idea is like, hey guys, we gotta go live our faith. If we're gonna take this gospel to the ends of the earth, it can't just be this private little faith that we hold on to." And if you're asking me, and maybe I'm reading into this, if I'm one of the members of a 12th tribe of, uh, in the dispersion I, and, and, and I've just watched some of my friends get persecuted for their faith, some of my friends let their good deeds shine before men so that my father in heaven might get glory. And instead of what feels like my father getting glory, they just came from my head, I might have the tendency to be like, Hey, this whole public faith living out, can we somehow just make it a little more private? Can we just keep it between me and God? Because I'm not sure that I kind of want to walk the same path that, that Stephen or the other James walked. And so James is addressing this audience maybe even quelling some fears that even if persecution comes your way, you live out your faith. We're gonna dive into that right away next week. And yet, before we over-romanticize the early church, we need to remind ourselves that, hey, the early church, there's some, there's some similarities between here, today, and, and even then. They had confusion too, just like sometimes arises in our church and, and maybe has arisen in the American church over the last couple hundred years. There was confusion over what does this all mean? Am I supposed to, we supposed to be circumcised? Are we supposed to live out the dietary laws? There was confusion as to what was happening. There was also hypocrisy and false teachers that arose in the midst, saying that, no, this is the true gospel. Things that we, of course, still battle today, very evidently, and so this is who James is writing to, very much an audience that we can relate to, an audience that is, being, that is working through confusion, battling some of the effects of hypocrisy, maybe even in our own lives. And then also dealing with some false teachers. And James is trying to shepherd these people. And like a good shepherd, he is calling his people to move from point A to point B. That's why we're calling this series Saved and Steadfast. He is writing to a group of people who have been saved, who have been rescued and redeemed by the blood of the lamb. But he's going, hey, there's still more yet to do. You've been left behind. Now what? We've gotta move this direction to a place of steadfastness. He's gonna show us how to live again, a single-minded, stable, and undefiled life. And that's what good shepherds do. They take people that get really comfortable in point A. And sheep love to just stay right where they are. But shepherds know what's best for them. They know where greener pastures lie. And so James, like that good shepherd, is gonna move people along. And one other just, I think, side note that's encouraging to me, if you go read Acts 15, I just want to remind you, again, James is going to throw 54 commands in us, and it might feel like a lot. But go read Acts 15, because in Acts 15, something very interesting happened. James actually removes some burdens from Gentile believers. There was confusion and in the early church. And it was like, well, hey, do Gentile believers need to be circumcised? Do they need to obey some of the other matters of the Mosaic law? And James, along with some of the other church leaders, actually removes some of the burdens. And so like a good shepherd, he's not gonna overburden his sheep with anything other than what God wants for us. And that's who James is. He is a good shepherd, imitating his brother, imitating the son of God and shepherding his people towards a life of full devotion. And then the last thing that's worth noting about James is he suffered for his faith. If we look at all of the extra biblical sources that, uh, that we have, which are actually quite a few, they all agree that James was martyred for his faith. And around the year AD 62, uh, AD 63, about 17, 18 years after he wrote this letter, and, uh, and it says this uh, in, in one of the h- historical accounts written by Eusebius, who's uh, one of the great historians of the early church, that it said when, that, that uh, James was taken up to the Temple Mount by some of the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin. And it says this, that when he was demanded to recant his faith, it says with a loud voice and with more courage than they had expected James confessed before all the people that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the Son of God. And I'm going to say it again. It begs the question, what happened to this guy? You're telling me he went from a skeptic to a servant, to a shepherd, to willing to suffer. He couldn't even... he thought his brother was out of his mind at one point and that he's willing to, with more courage than people had expected, die for that truth. And I just wanna remind you, the transformative power of Jesus Christ is more powerful than we can even imagine, right? The same power that rose Christ from the grave is in us. And so we can look back on our lives and go, man, something is different. And wherever you are today, you may be, feel like you're a skeptic. You may feel like your life is a train wreck. I just want to remind you, the transformative power of Christ can turn you into a pillar in the church, willing to shepherd those who the Lord entrusts to your flock. This is James. And with that in mind, uh, we're gonna dive in a little bit further. Now, for some of you, you may never have read the letter of James and I have good news for you, that's okay, because we're gonna solve that right now. And I know that even as we begin to read this letter that, uh, that I'm well aware of where the average attention span is for uh, a, an American adult these days. Even for me, I, I mean, I was watching a 15 second video clip and about four seconds in, I was like, let's get to the point, let's get to the point. And yet scripture tells us to pay attention to the public reading of his word. Scripture tells us with its own words that the word of God doesn't return void. And so if you've never read the book of James, we're about to change that. Let me give us just two, three, four things that we can look at. And by the way, if you have your Bibles, please bring your Bibles this series. We might do some underlining and some circling in this series. I wanna give you a couple things to look at to help maybe kind of keep your mind engaged. If your mind starts to wander, it's okay, get right back on track with me. But one of the things that we're gonna look at throughout this series is this idea of the combos that we see in James. And so you're gonna look at kind of our next nine weeks here. And there's some combos that show up in the letter of James. This idea of, man, when you have this and this and you pair them together, something really powerful happens. This is what James is getting at. Yes, we're called to be saved, but he's trying to move us towards this place of being steadfast. The goal is to be both. And you're going to see that show up again and again. Sometimes it's going to be a little more obvious. You're going to see, oh, I'm not just supposed to be a hearer of the word. That's really important, but I'm also supposed to be a doer of the word. And when those pair up, something really powerful happens. And the word of God goes forward. Or in James chapter two, we're going to see faith. It's by grace you've been saved. We'll unpack that May 22nd. It's by grace you've been saved alone, but works are to be paired with it in a way that makes your faith alive and living and active for those that you bump into. Becomes tangible. They begin to go, what happened to you? Those are some of the combos I want you to look for. Also, a couple of things, look for other places where he talks about governing the tongue or the mouth. James chapter three is going to stick out to you without a doubt. But in each chapter of his letter, James is gonna give us instructions for our mouth. Circle it, star it, look for that. And then if you listen closely in David's prayer earlier, he also mentioned this, that that James is gonna talk a lot about our posture, the ideal of humility or or, or lowliness or, or meekness. So look for those ideas, right, as a reminder of the posture of the heart of a believer. And so we believe the word of God to be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so let's listen to its public reading. The letter of James. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not only hearers, deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, but the one who looks unto the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have not then you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly Against a brother or judges, his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The letter of James, as it would have been written, as it would have been listened to and read in the first century church. Hmm. You can read a lot of Bible in 14 minutes, amen? There's some days I can't even solve the wordle in 14 minutes. If you take out eight hours for sleep, there are some, I think we calculated 68 14-minute chunks in your day. If you just take one of those 68 each day, you could have read James 70 times by the time we're done with our series. Immerse yourselves in these things, Paul would write, so that your progress might be evident. Now, I read the book of James and guess what? I don't feel like I'm crushing it. And yet I need to remind myself of this. I mean, there's stuff in here that even as I was reading it out now, I mean, I, I remember, I've talked about, I have some envy in my heart. I have selfish ambition. I have talked about it in the last couple of years and I read the book of James and I am reminded, oh my gosh, I still have work to do. That's gotta get uprooted. Did you listen to it? Because from it comes every vile practice, every kind of disorder. And so I listen to that and I'm going, oh my gosh, I got work to do. I listen to this and I'm reminded there is still work to be done with this tongue. And so I read the letter of James. I hear the 54 commands and in my flesh, I can begin to feel a little weighed down. A little bit of guilt, a little bit of condemnation begins to seep in. Can I just remind you where we were last Sunday? Jesus has removed the burden of sin and guilt in condemnation for those that have trusted him. That as a good shepherd, he does not want you on that. He does not want those burdens on you anymore. He is a good shepherd, he removes those things. Even as you read the book of James and you begin to feel that condemnation creeping in, I want you to remember, Jesus is the lifter of burdens. But like a good shepherd, Jesus who knows us by name, those of us who have been rescued, he says, I go before you and we're gonna go this way. And he's gonna invite us into the path of life where there is fullness of joy. This is who Jesus is. And God through James is going, this is the way there. And like a good shepherd, he would tell you, don't grow weary. This is a lifetime's journey and we're gonna get 10 weeks together to make progress and to move in the direction that he would love us to be in a steadfast place. He wants us to move us and grow in being single-minded, stable, and undefiled by this world. The same God that authored your life, the same God that authored your redemption is the same God that is not trying to burden you down. He's trying to set you free for the road that is ahead and call you this direction. I just want to tell you this, I, I, I've been, uh, an, I've been the, the region director here for, uh, for about five and a half years, almost six years. And I have woken up 300 different Tuesdays pumped about the day that is ahead. Pumped. Now, let me tell you why I don't wake up. In that place just, I'll just tell you, I don't wake up excited because my goal is to just sit with a bunch of people that are just trying to say no to a certain sin. I'm not excited to just sit in a room that are people going, all I'm trying to do is say no to this substance or not look at this or be freed from anxiety or anger. No, what fires me up and why I love waking up on Tuesday mornings and get fired up throughout the day is because I get to sit with people who when the light bulb flicks on, I get to watch the incredible, utterly transformative power of Jesus Christ take hold of their life. And it is fun to watch. And I have the best seat in town right there. I'm not just with people on Tuesday night that are looking for a little bit of behavior modification. That's not my goal. That's not compelling to me on Monday, on Tuesdays. No, I love when the Spirit of Christ radically transforms someone. And I watch train wrecks, whatever you wanna call them, become pillars in the church and to give their life away and to grow in being single-minded, stable, and undefiled. And it is a marvel to watch. That's what fires me up. I'm telling you right now, I'm not the next nine Sundays. It's not just so that we can get 54 commands in us and be a little bit more on the behavior modification. What I'm excited for these next nine Sundays is we are gonna get to sit in the word of God and be spurred on to go, this is what it looks like to full devotion. This is the path of life. And that fires me up. That's the book of James. We have a really great opportunity these next nine to 10 weeks to catch a glimpse, to get a taste of what it looks like to be a a more fully devoted follower of Christ. And I don't want us to miss it. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.